Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to The Art of Being You with me. This is Rachel Wortman, your host and content creator of this podcast. And I just want to say thank you guys for being here today and for showing back up for our Build a Better Marriage uh, part two of our three-part series. So last week, I uh, had an episode that was all about communication and sort of kicking off our marriage series. And today is really all about intimacy. So yes, we are going to talk about sex. And I know a lot of you guys listen sometimes with kids in your car. So this is your fair warning to um, pause the podcast if you need to come back and listen uh, without young ears around. Uh, This is not going to be a graphic or explicit. It's only explicit marked because I want you guys with little kids to know that we do go into this topic today. So let's just dive right in. I want to talk specifically about intimacy and the different ways that we experience intimacy in a marriage. And primarily, you know, that has a lot to do with sexual intimacy. But emotional intimacy is huge in a marriage as well. In fact, those couples that have the best sex are the couples that have the, the greatest depth of emotional intimacy. I said it, guys, and I stand by it. I really do believe that because we are designed by God for sex to be something that is amazing. But on in, in the covenant of marriage, it is amazing because it's not just a, a sensation that you feel, but it's a connection that you have. You know, it is there's a depth to it um, <clears throat> on an emotional level as well that just cannot be removed. In fact, I would I would go so far to say that those who believe believe that uh, you can have great sex without an emotional connection are people who are being deceived and there is some sort of a a block happening within them. The best sex is the one, uh, the times that, that are connected to great emotional intimacy. And I think that's really, really important. So I came into this understanding of emotional intimacy probably back in, I don't know, maybe 2005. My church at the time did a marriage conference. My husband and I had just been married. I'm not even sure if we had been married a year at this point. And we went to this conference, you know, and we always thought we're going to be the kind of couple that keeps bettering our marriage and all of that. So we go to this conference. It's it's uh, The speaker is a therapist, you know, and, and he starts talking about emotional intimacy. And if you've heard me talk about this topic in other uh, ways, especially when I talk about emotional intelligence. Um, A lot of that is actually, I began that understanding with this person. So he passes out a paper to everybody in the room. I don't know, there was probably 500 people in this little mini conference. And on the paper, it was single space, 12 point font, front and back, four columns on both sides of just a list of emotions. So I, I, I can't do quick math, but let's just say something like 200 different emotions. Guys, these were not just happy sad, angry, hungry. These were, you know, perplexed, um, uh, delusion, you know, like these were like, like really complex emotions 
because of course you got to fill up the whole paper. And so he gave us this exercise and he said, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes and point to anywhere on the paper. And then I want you to tell me what was the first time you ever felt that emotion. And then what is a recent time that you felt that emotion? And he said, look, I know some of you guys are going to have to look up what these emotions actually mean and are, but this is a way to practice building a connection between you and your own emotions. It's, it's a development. It's a tool, right? It's a practice. And so uh, my husband at this point in our life was very uninterested in this type of an exercise. And so if he didn't land on happy, you know, if he didn't land on one of the big five emotions that we all can categorize, he would just be like, I literally cannot think of one time. I don't even understand what this means. And as the time went on I of this exercise, I just got so disheartened and I started to feel like, Maybe, you know, it was that I was the driver of bettering our marriage. Not that my husband didn't love me, but he really is not, he does not come by emotional connection naturally. In fact, if you follow the podcast over this last year, we've talked a couple of times about um, attachment theory, and uh, this is a classic avoidant attached uh, situation where they really they they will go to great lengths to avoid emotional connection because usually emotional connection equals pain for them. It's it's like letting your guard down, and it is just the the beginning of what you know is going to be a very painful experience. Well, we didn't have that information at the time. I just thought he didn't really care, which was hurtful, right? And the therapist said, look, everybody take this paper home, put it on your fridge and practice this. And over the course of three months, you're going to really develop your ability to have a good emotional index on yourself. And so I did. I would practice. I, I wanted Grant to practice as well. And he just was largely disinterested. Here's why I tell you this story. It's not to throw him under the bus or make him look bad or anything like that. But I tell you this because I can't, I, there are so many marriages where there's one person in the marriage who's really driving the growth. And there's another person who is in some ways, maybe even resisting the growth. And I want to say to you, first and foremost, if this is the only thing you remember from today's episode, I want to say to you that if you're the driver of the growth and it is not being met, it's still worth doing. It's absolutely still worth doing. I think the image that both the husband and the wife dive headfirst into, you know, learning about all the ins and outs of, of the psychology of marriage and bettering marriage and all of that kind of stuff, I think that's an illusion more than it is a fact. It's just very, very rare when two people in a marriage value the same approach to bettering their marriage. So if that is something that you struggle with, today is your day to let that struggle go and to accept that it is okay for you to be the one holding uh, the movement forward or pushing the movement forward. I've been married uh, 17 and a half years now, and it has always been me. That's not to say I have no resentment about that. It's not to say that my husband doesn't try, he doesn't put in the effort. He does. What I'm saying is that uh, trying to understand why we have the arguments that we do, trying to get to the root of these things, that's something that I've been doing largely on my own, but it has benefited us and is absolutely worth it. 
So when we talk about um, emotional intimacy and, and physical intimacy as well, it, it's important to sort of set the standard from the get-go, the difference between lust and love. And if you've listened to our Let's Talk About Sex episode from last, I, maybe even been two years ago, it's been a while, um, on the podcast, you've heard me say this before, but I want to reiterate it again. The number one difference between lust and love is this. Lust takes love gives. Lust takes and love gives. When you are uh, wondering in your in a dating relationship, if you're wondering, you know, am I filled with lust? Well, is it all about you? Then probably. <laughs> because lust is this drive to meet my needs no matter what. I, it, that's why lust fuels the pornographic industry, right? It's why uh, lust leads to all of the, the things related to that because it's this feeling that I have a need and I must meet that need and I must meet it now. It's a very toddler-like way to approach the things of, of life. L uh, love, genuine love, can be as um, passionate as we might define lust to be, but it is from the place of giving, not from taking. It's from the mindset that I'm offering myself to you, not the other way around, right? That you, I'm demanding you to offer yourself to me. So when we talk about sex in a godly marriage, I genuinely believe, and it goes with what I said last week as well, I genuinely believe that godly marriages are supposed to have the best sex there is. One of the reasons is because we're in a covenant with our spouse that is that that's is significant. It's weighty. It's important. It is uh, spiritual. It's a spiritual union as well as uh, a physical and legal union as well. And and so it's so important to give it the weight that it deserves and to recognize that that part of our life must be protected and honored and cherished. Because I'm telling you, what we should find is uh, a bunch of people looking at Christians and going, well, how is that possible that you have that kind of a, a sex life? Now, the reality is Christians are not going to talk about it because we're private people, we're modest people, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and I think that's good, right? I'm not necessarily advocating that you go around saying all these things to everybody that you meet. That would not be good. Um, but what I am saying is that when when a godly couple comes together, uh, what they have an opportunity to experience is far better and far greater than anything else that's out there in the world. And it primarily is about what you give, not what you are getting. So, okay, I'm going to give a couple of practicals as we talk about this, um, because we could talk about this for way longer than we're going to spend on the podcast today together. But I want to just say to you, if you're a couple, like some of us that are highly romanticized people, and what I mean by that is you love watching romantic movies, you love the idea of falling in love, the the chemical ex uh, uh, response that happens in your body is something that you want to have over and over again. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why marriages struggle, because at some point that chemical response kind of changes, and we don't don't feel it as often and we start to wonder, am I still really in love with this person? And the reality is that there are different phases, even biologically, to what happens in your body in a relationship. And uh, it's just not healthy to pursue the beginning endorphin phase all the time. That It's just not the way that we're created to be. And so what we have to understand is that there are different types of sexual expression in a marriage. 
there are different types. Now, I'm going to make a jump to a category that usually is maybe never connected to to this topic. So just go with me just for a second. But uh, when I was preaching regularly at my church and, you know, most weeks of the year I was preaching and there was a couple of times where I would finish a message and I would be talking to the Lord about it and just kind of, you know, reflecting with the Lord and, and what feedback do you want to give me? Did I say anything wrong? That kind of thing. And uh, a couple of times, maybe three times, you know, over the course of the year, I would feel like, man, I just feel like that message bombed. Uh, you know, like, man, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with how I delivered that. I don't feel like I communicated what the Lord wanted me to communicate, et cetera. And I, I came to this realization that not every message that I preach is going to be this dynamic, amazing, life-changing thing. And that's not even the goal. So then it becomes, how do I fill the bottom third of the tank, right? Because if we want all of our experiences to be the top, then something like that's just not real because the top sits on something else. It's the top in comparison to something else. So when we think about it in the, in, again, this is a leap that I probably should not have even made, but just, just go with me. Just, just let, you know, let the cringe of your soul go for just a second. Um, when we're talking about sex, not every sexual experience with your spouse can be the highlight of your life because that's not physically possible, right? It's not mentally possible to have like one high experience to the next, to the next. And what I think happens all too often is when we have an experience or a sexual experience with our spouse that isn't amazing, we start to wonder or doubt what's going on between us. And, you know, at times that might be an indicator. But, far, you know, by and large, when you've been married for a while, there's just going to be times that are not fireworks, right, that are not super dynamic. And I think it's important for us to begin by understanding that a dissatisfactory experience is not immediate cause for concern. It's, it's maybe more than anything a cause for an opportunity to have better communication. So, of course, you're going to hear me say this. I said it last week. I'll say it again today. But good communication is vital. If you want to have a better sex life, the best thing you can do is talk openly with your spouse. Talk openly with them. What things do you enjoy? What things do you not enjoy? Work through when you're not in the heat of the moment. Work through how you communicate to one another when something is happening that you don't enjoy so that it's not an offensive or insecure thing, you know, in the moment. And I think that's really, really important to, to learn about your preferences in that way. And we're going to talk about holy preferences in a moment. But to learn about your preferences in a way that's not, you know, in the heat of the moment so that you can have that that baseline of understanding together. I think I'd been married around eight, maybe uh, maybe six to eight years before I even had the guts to have one of these conversations. I just, I don't know, it felt so awkward to me. And, and I, I'd say that only because I know that some of you guys feel that way as well. A lot of times as women, we, we find this, we just find it really awkward to communicate our needs, our desires, because we experience shame, we experience um, insecurity, you know, all these various things. But I'm telling you, your husband wants to know, ladies, what you enjoy. And it, it the husbands, they enjoy bringing you know, a smile to their wife's faith. I'm just going to say it like that. I can't think of any less, uh, I'm trying to keep this as PG and surface level as I can, but it's a little bit hard. So it's important to have that kind of communication. And I remember the first two conversations that we had, my husband was like, this is a great thing to talk about. Let's talk about it. And I just was, I felt like I was going to the dentist to get a root canal. You know, it was so difficult for me, but on the back end later at watching the fruit of those conversations come to pass, it was 
like, oh, this is a worthwhile conversation. So now we try to have that conversation, I don't know, usually about once a year at this point, just as a check-in. But, you know, we could probably do do that conversation more and uh, and benefit from it. Um, and so I'm saying to you, it's not like you have to talk about this every week at your date night or, you know, however you connect emotionally, but you do need to bring it up. And if you've never had this conversation with your spouse, have the conversation. You can tell them, look, I listened to this podcast. It's 20 minutes. Will you listen to it with me? And then use this as a springboard to talk about it if you can't get up the nerve on your own. Okay, so the last topic I want to talk about today, and again, we're not covering a lot about sex. I covered that in the Let's Talk About Sex episode um, it was over a year ago, so you can scroll back to the beginning of the podcast and find that one. But today, I really wanted to talk about this topic, and it's the Hebrews 13.4 scripture that you may or may not be familiar with. And uh, I'm just going to be as blunt and honest as I can because I don't want there to be any confusion about what I'm talking about. But if you guys remember when the Girl Wash Your Face, Go Wash Your Face or whatever that book was that Rachel Hollis put out. Now, a lot of people feels, feel like Rachel Hollis is a, a good Christian motivating woman. I think in the events of her life over last year, that uh, image was um, brought low in a lot of ways and probably for, for good reason. Um, and I really struggled with her book on a number of ways because it felt very much like um, like I'm trying to make myself better apart from the empowering grace of Jesus, but I'm going to say that I love Jesus to tailor this to an audience of Christians that maybe don't don't know the difference. So I'm sorry if you're a big Rachel Hollis fan. I think she's I'm sure she's an amazing person. I'm not trying to dog on her as a person. But in her book, she made a comment about sex. I think she had a whole chapter about it, I want to say. And she talked about defiling the marriage bed. And she quoted this scripture in Hebrews 13 verse 4, and this is what it says. Uh, I think I'm reading to you from, I can't remember what translation this is. I think it's the NIV. It says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And she used this, this idea that, you know, what does it mean for the marriage bed to be kept pure? And her conclusion was, as long as you and your spouse agree together that that's pure, that anything you do with just your spouse is acceptable to the Lord. And I just need to say, I don't believe that that's true. Now, this isn't like a bash piece against her. I just know that a lot of people have heard this and, and adopted this kind of thinking that just because you're married, whatever you do has no consequences. And I want to say to you that that is not true. One of the best things that we can do in a marriage is understand um, both mutual consent between you and your spouse and also between you and the Lord. Look, the... <clears throat> For lack of a better word, the demonic realm out there knows how to use sex to open the door to your soul. It just, it, it is as, as true. I can't come up with any truer way to say it than that. The pornography industry, I genuinely think, and I've done a lot of research on this, I genuinely think the pornography industry is the temple of Diana of today. It exists on the cloud, but it is what the temple of Diana in ancient Greek culture would do with this, just this highly perverse, you come and watch people engage in these acts and, and, and watching them and then also engaging in them was an act of worship to this demonic God. And these gods are still out there doing their thing, right? And so they're coming up with new ways to do the same thing. And the pornography industry is one of those ways. So we cannot just say just because your spouse and you think it's okay, that means it's okay. I'm not here to draw all the lines of what is and is not appropriate, because I do think this is a conversation 
communication that you have between your spouse and the Lord. But I want to highlight that mutual consent in- involves the Holy Spirit. A lot of us want to go, wait a second. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit should not be involved in this part of my marriage. I don't want Jesus to be a part of my sex life. This is way too awkward. And I totally get it. I understand. But the truth is that you are united with Christ and nothing, if you are saved, nothing that you do is apart from him. Just think about that for a second, okay? And so when we keep the marriage bed holy, what we're doing is making sure that we are not engaging in anything that is demonically inspired or demonically... um, uh, you know, utilized. I can't think of another word for that than that. When we do things that defile the other person or defile ourselves, we absolutely open the door for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc on our life. Will he do that the first time you do it? You know what? Sometimes not. The enemy's greatest tactic with Christians is usually to to you know lure you into doing something and have no consequences on the back end, so that you feel like you know, oh, God didn't smite me. Oh, okay, I'm good in this. You know, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And then that's when he starts to pull you into the bondage. And so you cannot just judge it by, you know, face value all the time. What am I talking about on a specific level? And I'm just going to be really specific for a moment. What I'm mentioning and referencing here is the use of pornography in your marriage, number one. Number two, I would include even soft pornography and sex scenes in movies. The way the streaming services are right now, gosh, I'm going to sound like a, a nut job for a second, but it just drives me nuts because it's like now that they, they're they not under the same regulations that you are under when you have cable TV, um, uh, the requirements are different. And so like Netflix and Paramount Plus and HBO and all these channels that go direct to streaming are able to basically include large and graphic sex scenes, large meaning long, like, you know, five, six, seven minute sex scenes. And they do it because they can. And look, I'm saying to you, that is that, that is just empowered by demons. All right. So I'm not going to get into all the specifics, but pornography in a marriage, uh, certain uh, acts, you know, I would even say like the Karma Sutra that comes from demons. So we want to just make sure I recognize I sound like a nut job right now, but I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. And it's this, you can actually defile the marriage bed. And the way you do that is by either bypassing your spouse's self-control and not getting their consent or by partnering with the kingdom of darkness. Just because you're married does not mean every single thing is okay. And let me wrap it up by saying this. You, your body and you are the temple of the living God. Now, when you come to Jesus and you are saved by him, you become his temple. And if you want to understand what that means, read the old Testament and see how God felt when his temple was defiled, both through demonic artifacts coming into the temple, the, the priests abusing their bodies, you know, like having uh, sexual intercourse and, and doing other inappropriate things in the the bounds of the temple, like in the temple uh, rooms, these things really matter to the Lord. And just because Jesus has fulfilled the payment of the sin doesn't mean that these things still don't matter to the Lord. Your body is now his temple and therefore it should be kept holy so that you can experience the unbridled union with Jesus that he paid for for you to have on the cross. So I know that sometimes we we get confused or we get frustrated or we just get selfish and I get that, but I really want to encourage you, don't do that. Some things are harmful um, and the best way you're going to figure that out is by talking to Jesus about it. 
ask him, is this something that you're okay with? If we are adults and we should be, if we're engaging in sexual interactions with, with our spouse, you know, if we are adults and we are in the covenant of marriage, there is no shame in having a conversation with the Holy Spirit about your sex life and, and what he thinks about it and what he thinks should stay and what he thinks should go. And I think that that would be a, a huge benefit to you if you've never done that before. All right, you guys, you can unbuckle your seatbelts and get out of the awkwardness that is this conversation. It's, you know, I, I want to end by just this anecdote here. If you had told me when I was like a, a late teenager or an early 20s person that I would have multiple episodes on my podcast where we covered topics related to sex, I would have spit in your face. I mean, you guys have to understand, I was the most uncomfortable talking about this. Some of that stemmed from childhood wounding and some of the trauma I experienced. Some of that stemmed from just being a very modest person. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. And what I thought God, you know, felt about all of this stuff. And as I've become uh, more into adulthood and understood the importance of it, man, I, I feel like it is so important for Christians to actually have these conversations in a healthy and not a crude and crass way, because this is such a huge part of a marriage. And if we just ignore it and hope that we'll just come by these insights naturally, we're really doing ourselves a disservice. So um, I hope this is helpful for you guys. And tune in next week as we wrap up our third part of the marriage series. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.